Hi, my name is Ken Clark, and I'm the minister of the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. Here's another recording of one of our worship services at the Old First Church. These services will be posted weekly on our church website, and they are also found as a podcast, which is entitled A Walk to Cleo Hall. You can find that on Anchor, Spotify, or perhaps some other broadcast apps. This service is intended for January 31st, 2021. The organist is Jean-Marie Callahan, and the preacher is Ken Clark. Welcome to Sunday Worship at the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. Join me, if you will, in saying together our opening words, which are found in the order of service. We say them responsively. O Lord, in your light we see light. By your love our world is made new. Let us sing with thanks and praise to God. Your faithfulness extends to all creation. Our hymn is, O Worship the King, All Glorious Above.
opening prayer is found in the order of service. Join me, if you will, in saying it together. O Lord, our God, you know us better than we know ourselves, and we come before you now, believers and doubters alike. We all share a deep need, for we are all lost without your grace. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our troubled thoughts. Give us true repentance. Forgive us all our wrongs. Transform us by your Spirit to live for you each day, to learn to serve each other, and through your grace to come at last to heaven. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. If we confess our faults, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. first lesson for this Sunday is taken from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy in the 18th chapter, verses 15 through 20. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Oreb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. Here ends our first lesson. Our psalm hymn is, Lord, let your mercy be on us.
Our second lesson is from the Gospel of Mark in the first chapter, verses 21 through 28. The disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits. And they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Here ends the second lesson. I want to begin by assuring everyone today that I'm not going to spend this Sunday speaking about my Uncle Phil and his adventures. I'm going to try to head us back in a different direction. But a a word of warning, uh, this is going to be more of a historical sermon than others. I'm going to keep it short, I hope. But uh, it will be more based in history than uh, directly off our texts here. But I want to take a look first at the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy and the words Moses is speaking about God promising uh, someone to speak to the people. In other words, hearing God's commands firsthand can be a terrible thing. And this is a situation where Moses is saying, There will be prophets raised up from among you. The strange word we always hear, a prophet is not recognized in their hometown. And yet here we understand that the prophets are raised up from among the people, making prophets rather hard to discover. We hear a lot of voices calling to us one way or another, telling us things that may happen or criticizing what's going on which is principally the job of the prophet to call us back, to remind us of what words God is speaking to us, speaking for God. Here in the Old Testament, God saying through Moses that the words of the Lord will be put in the mouth of the prophet, but it's going to be difficult to understand who's speaking those authentic words and who's just assuming the mantle of prophet for perhaps other gods, other purposes. Yet prophets rise up from the people. Prophet voices come in this way. We're hard to recognize prophets among us. And this is always a challenge, a tension that's set up in the book of Deuteronomy. In the New Testament, Mark tells the story of Jesus casting out an evil spirit from someone. And in these two readings together, we have some of the functions of our church, the work of prophecy, and as I've put it, perhaps the work of healing. Now, casting out a spirit is more confrontative, uh, confronting evil in this world, and casting it out, commanding it with authority. The hallmark in this section of gospel is that Jesus is not simply dealing with Torah, dealing with scripture. Uh, interpreting the words of the Lord, but he is speaking with authority. This is that sense of what a prophet is. It is a sense that further distinguishes Jesus from other prophets, that the words seem to have an original and new basis within this person. He speaks with authority. That all the time comes through as the hallmark of what this section of the gospel is about the ability to speak from a deep well of experience, from an authentic encounter, Jesus representing God's being here on earth, prophets speaking for God here on earth. This idea of being a prophet or being a healer through words one speaks is an important takeaway from both of these lessons. Two illustrations of what it is for us to be the church. 
to speak authentically, to listen, to search out for authentic words, authentic speakers, to be able to speak to our age and time, to speak originally. And when we hear the words of Jesus, to understand the authority with which they are given. These two readings put me in mind of a train of thinking that I want to explore with you for a little bit this morning. Part of our heritage as a church is this ability to turn inward, to hear things, to challenge things, to speak freely. In this day and age, and I was thinking when I should speak about these things, and today is as good a time as any. I'm not sure whether the times will require these words more in the future, or perhaps the time will pass. So I thought I'd speak about these particular historical points today and put them in the context of of this reading of these two pieces of Scripture. The Protestant tradition has always been a, a tradition that has valued the dissenting voice. That is what it is to be a Protestant, to be a dissenter, to raise your voice in opposition, to hear other things, and to try to sort things out on the basis of what you have heard. And thus it is in our church tradition, we value very much dissent for a certain amount of time. I think next week I'm going to speak about creeds, which is the opposite side of that dissenting voice. But for this Sunday, I want to focus simply on this idea of dissent. And I was put on this track in part by remembering in this dissenting tradition how every year, I think it's the American Library Association, publishes a list of banned books. These are books that uh, they publish to show us that people do these things. They try to make it so that people do not have access to certain pieces of information. The interesting thing about the ALA list of banned books is it's usually great literature. For example, The Great Gatsby, The Catcher in the Rye, The Grapes of Wrath, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Color Purple, James Joyce's Ulysses, uh, Orwell's 1984, Animal Farm. The list is long and distinguished, and it's to make us think, oh, how silly it is to be banning books. Look what great literature has been banned. Banning books is a, is a bad thing. They don't have a list, although you could construct a list of other books that have been banned, uh, which are probably pretty uncomfortable and would make you think twice, and maybe that book list would say to you, well, maybe this book banning thing isn't such a bad idea after all. Maybe we should start banning books. In 2015, uh, the ALA cited the Bible. Uh, it made the top ten books of that year for books that had been banned or challenged. Um, the Bible makes the list almost every year as a banned book. Right here, the Bible. Banned book, dangerous stuff. Why? Well, I suppose it speaks with authority. Uh, and anytime you challenge authority, you get into trouble. Uh, I know that from childhood in school. Uh, and you probably know that as well. But the reasons the Bible was challenged was various. Some object to it because of the degree of violence. And certainly there is a lot of violence in those pages. Some... Um, challenge it because it expresses a religious viewpoint. The Quran and the Torah would be in the same challenged position for these reasons. Uh, some challenge it because they say it's illegal. Uh, the church and state people saying that, well, maybe a public library shouldn't have uh, a Bible because it's endorsing religion or something of that nature. So there are various reasons why people have objected to the Bible, and it's just of note to see that in 2015 it made the list. But let's not leave it with the American Library Association. The first people as a group to ban the Bible uh, was probably the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church for years banned the distribution of the Bible in any language other than Latin. That was so anybody 
Any normal people who were not Latin scholars would not have access to the Bible. And so by this policy, the book was effectively banned to the majority of the church-going population. The only people having access to the book were, of course, the priests, the clergy, the elite. They could have this book. They were trusted with it. But to put the book in the hands of the common person, where those prophets might come from, to put the book in those hands was going to be a dangerous thing. And so the church blocked the Bible, banned it effectively for many years. Even in England, the king banned the possession of vernacular, common English translations of the Bible in the early years. It was dangerous to have this book. Dangerous thing to have a Bible in a language you could understand. Dangerous thing in some places in the world today to have this book found in your possession. So we understand that when it comes to banning books, we don't just ban things that might offend our sensibilities or might we might consider too risque or we might consider profane. Uh, this process of banning things comes all the way back to us as Christians. And it begins to teach that lesson that once you start down the road of saying what people can read and what they can see, you soon get to the position of, well, what can they think? What can they say beyond what we will allow? The other, there is another side of the argument, obviously, that says for the safety and health of people, certain things may or may not be said. In this era of pandemic, we are shifting our thinking away from individual freedom and more towards an idea of what's good for the health of the majority. Now, this is good to way of thinking when you're fighting a epidemic, pandemic. Uh, I'm not so sure it's a good thing when it comes to free speech and free thought. But there are two points of view on this, as always, and the argument will be engaged, and I think we will see it in the years to come. I just wanted to mention it today because I realized by these two readings this morning from the Bible how important it is for us as people of faith, for people who have a spiritual bearing, uh, that we realize that the voices that we choose to hear, the voice that may come to us through conscience, what we say are very important values that we have had as a people. I'm not sure where they're going to go in the next few years. I'm jealous of my ability to speak freely. It occasionally gets me into trouble, more perhaps more than occasionally gets me into trouble. But it is an important part of our work as a people of faith, our work as a people who hope to advance understanding and cooperation. One reason freedom of speech is so valued has been an old theory, and that has been the theory espoused in the last 50 years, particularly as the disinfectant theory. In other words, it is better to bring difficult thoughts to light and have them in open discussion and thus show them to be weak or ill-founded. It's better to take an argument that is offensive and to bring it out into the open and engage it, and thus by engaging it to eventually defeat it. That's presumably what I mean when I say the disinfectant uh, argument in favor of unfettered speech. This goes back to what I said a few weeks ago about us being now in silos. Uh, if you're not speaking to one another, having arguments and having ways of thought that are not being engaged on on the culture at large, will create problems. And so maybe the reasons for this disinfectant use of free speech has come to an end. Uh, maybe if we're not talking to one another and engaging in civil argument, civil conversation, the only other option when you have uncomfortable words is to stamp them out. So those are your two options as I see them. Either you have a discussion about it and engage people who you may not normally speak to, or you don't engage 
and you simply try to eliminate that side of the argument. Those are the two options, and that's kind of the lay of the land. I want to bring this around, as I said, to history and to us here in Bennington in a particular kind of way. I want to hold up the figure of a person who was a Vermonter, who was the first person. Well, let me tell you about Matthew Lyon. We're going back to the early 1800s. I can tell you four things about Matthew Lyon. Uh, All of them are true, and you choose the one which you think is the most interesting. Matthew Lyon, a Vermonter, actually a member of Congress for the state of Vermont, was the first person convicted of violating the Sedition Act of 1798 when he accused President John Adams of ridiculous pomp, among other things. As a matter of fact, not only did he say uh, that John Adams was uh, guilty of ridiculous pomp, Matthew Lyon was so seditious that he also said of our president that he was engaged in a foolish adulation, selfish avarice, and that he was corrupting the Christian faith to pursue a war. Well, that kind of speaking can land you in prison, if not violate the Sedition Act of 1798. So we can talk about that, or we can talk about Matthew Lyon, who was the first and only member of Congress to be reelected while in prison. From that, we understand that Matthew Lyon actually was convicted of sedition by a jury and judge in the state of Vermont. We could also talk about Matthew Lyon, who was the first member of Congress who was charged with gross indecency and threatened from with expulsion from the office of Congress for spitting in the face of a fellow member of Congress, poor Roger Griswold of Connecticut, spitting in his face and for the physical violence that ensued after he did that. There was some fire tongs lifted up and clubs and quite the bustle in Congress that day, uh, a fight on the floor of Congress. Well, that's the third thing. Or the fourth thing, we can talk about Matthew Lyon, who was the one of those who cast the deciding vote to elect Thomas Jefferson president in the election of 1800. A critical vote, it came after 35 tie votes. And finally, Matthew Lyon's vote and one other was able to put Thomas Jefferson over the top. And because of that, Aaron Burr did not end up being president of the United States. Go see Hamilton and it will all be made clear to you. Or there's a new uh, musical that's being produced uh, about Matthew Lyon. It's called The Spittin' Lion. So uh, we'll, we'll see where that brings us. Matthew Lyon was a native of Ireland. He came from Dublin, and before that, perhaps County Wicklow. His father in the mid-1700s in Ireland, it is thought, uh, may have been involved in treason for trying to overthrow the good king who ruled the Irish people. He apprenticed himself as a bookbinder and a printer, but didn't stay in Dublin, Ireland forever. He, in 1764, redeemed, he was a redemptionee, A redemptionee is somebody who doesn't have the money to come to America, so they sell their labor. They indenture themselves for a period of probably seven years to be at the beck and command of someone else. And by doing that, they jump on a ship, they come to America, and the ship owner is able to sell that person to whoever wants to buy their labor. And that was Matthew Lyon. Uh, He was apprenticed to somebody in Connecticut. He worked late hours and earned wages in addition to his indenture, so he was able to buy his freedom several years early, so he was free by 1768. 
Now, those are great years for Bennington. We're just getting underway in 1764 when Matthew Lyon arrives where? In Connecticut, where most of our settlers were coming from. So no surprise that he came up here to Vermont once he was a free man, and he settled in the nice town of Wallingford, Vermont, where he became active in the 1760s and 70s in the militia movement, joined with Seth Warner, and went with Warner's men and Green Mountain Boys to Canada in 1775, was made a second lieutenant in the Green Mountain Boys, moved to Arlington, just up the road here in 1777. Matthew Lyon had kind of a checkered career as a military person. He fought in the Battle of Bennington. He fought at Saratoga. But there is an incident where apparently he didn't get along with General Gates, and he was cashiered for cowardice. Uh, Any man who can spit in someone else's face, is that man a coward? I don't know, but he hadn't done that yet. He was cashiered for cowardice. It's unclear what the story of that was, but as part of his punishment, he was given a wooden sword to carry around, kind of the ultimate indignity. He came back here after the war, and he was able to be a member of the Vermont Council of Safety and a deputy secretary to Governor Thomas Chittenden, and he ran for Congress and won, 1797 to 1801. Those were his years in Congress. He was a one of those Democratic Republicans rather than a Federalist. He represented more of the common person rather than the educated elites, more of the farmer class than the merchant class. Uh, that was his orientation. That was his attraction, perhaps, to Thomas Jefferson and people of that nature. Bennington itself was very much divided into two camps, the Federalists and the Democrat-Republicans at this time. It was so in these years that Matthew Lyon committed his seditious acts. The feelings were very high in the nation between these two camps. Name-calling was common. When Matthew Lyon spit in Congressman Griswold's face, Griswold had called him a scoundrel. And I'm told that that at the time was not a very good thing to call someone, so uh, Lyon responded uh, in a very physical way. Uh, after he made his publications, there was a trial, and he was convicted of sedition, speaking against the government, insulting the government, convicted of sedition. He was fined $1,000 and put in jail for two months. The judge, the federal magistrate who sentenced him, regretted that he could not punish Matthew Lyon even more. Well, as he went to jail in Virgennes, Vermont, he had the support of a lot of Green Mountain boys who threatened to storm the jail and take him out of there. Lyon, however, urged that they remain peaceful, and no such attempt was made. He got out of jail. Although Lyon was able to complete his term in jail, he had another career. He moved eventually to Kentucky. He engaged in various business ventures. While in Kentucky, he was able to uh, set up a, a business, building boats, building a paper mill, building a distillery, doing other things of this nature. He built gunboats for the War of 1812. He served four terms in the Kentucky legislature. And at the end of his days, he moved on to Arkansas, seeking further adventures. An interesting thing, note about Matthew Lyon, one of his descendants was the operatic baritone, Cheryl Mills. Matthew Lyon passes out of our way at this point when we think about these various things. But Matthew Lyon was not alone in Vermont for being convicted of sedition, speaking against the government. And here we bring it a little more close to home. His name, for example, is contained here on the walls of this church. A man convicted of sedition, speaking out against somebody else and saying something offensive. Who is that person on the stairs leading up to the pulpit? Our various names of luminaries of Vermont history. One of them is our favorite, Anthony Haswell, 
an American printer. Anthony Haswell, at the time Matthew Lyon was put in prison, printed some lottery tickets to raise bail funds for Matthew Lyon. And not only did he print those tickets, but he also saw to it that he reprinted some other words that others had spoken about the Adams and the Federalist regime at the time. By printing these words and reprinting the words of others, they were not his own words. He was just conveying the way one would do on Twitter, I suppose, the words of someone else. He was just republishing what others had said. And by republishing those words, he was considered guilty of sedition. Haswell was put in prison, and he was sentenced, unlike Lyons, who had a $1,000 fine, he got off with only $200. Now, I should note that um, that um, Matthew Lyons' fine in 1840, I believe after he had died, uh, Congress actually paid the family back. They said, whoop, we made a mistake here. Um, here's the money back. They gave a special appropriation. Haswell had a $200 fine. His printing office was right up near where the barn stands today, right up outside the uh, Bennington Monument here in town. He came out of prison, and it was in Bennington. He came out. He was put in prison on the 5th of May in 1800, and he got out two months later. They delayed their 4th of July celebration in Bennington for a couple days until Anthony Haswell was back in town. And then they had a great celebration. I should also say that when Matthew Lyon was in prison for sedition, he was, as I've noted, re-elected to Congress. And what was the vote total? I can find you the vote total here. Matthew Lyon got 4,576 votes. His opponent got 2,444 votes and doubled the amount for this individual convicted of sedition. Anthony Haswell, Matthew Lyon, two interesting voices, not necessarily people we might agree with, although Haswell Haswell is interesting because he came to town here as, as really the town printer and the first printer in the state of Vermont, printed very many important things in our early history. But Haswell in, in 1801... Uh, Haswell, uh, had his son inoculated against smallpox. Again, this was a, a very advanced and scientific viewpoint to believe in inoculation at the time. Haswell also printed for Ethan Allen his book, Reason the Only Oracle of Man, which was not a religious, well, it was a religious tract, but it was a deist tract, doubted a lot of the religious claims of the day. He published that book in the late 1700s for Ethan Allen. He was obviously somebody who was not afraid to experiment, to try new things. And yet, in 1803, he joined this church as a member. He had attended here for 20 years, as some of you have. Uh, he He attended here for 20 years without joining and had a religious conversion in 1803, and then joined our church, and probably sat here in this building attending church services. I like to think of Anthony Haswell disagreeing with this church for 20 years, or not quite sure, listening to things he didn't agree with. I know certainly there was one minister he very definitely did not agree with. He was much more of a federalist and an aristocrat uh, who served this church, David Avery, in the uh, just after the Revolutionary War. And yet, Anthony Haswell came and listened and thought. And undoubtedly, he spoke and he wrote. He published this book by Ethan Allen about deism, about reason being the only oracle of man, uh, at a time when he was walking through the doors of our old meeting house, an independent thinker, a man who went to jail for printing words of other people that some people found offensive. I don't know where we will come down on all these issues, but I just want you to think that the past is not so very much in the past. The past is very much present to us here. I don't know what we learn from the past. It seems to me one thing I learned from the past is the same foibles of human nature 
occur again and again and again. I know when I look in the past and think of some of these people, I can think of people in this day and age that I really dislike. And I wonder if perhaps Matthew Lyon would have been one of those people I would have never wanted for a friend. And yet I speak of him today as a figure in history. Why? I don't think he was a prophet, but I think he was a voice, a voice that I have to listen to and evaluate and ask myself. Is this voice a deep word of truth for me? Or is this voice something I must reject? The only way I can do that is by listening. The only way I can do that is by having the ability to have other people be heard so that I can hear and perhaps change, perhaps continue on the course I have set. So, that's my bit of history for us today at the Old First Church, the Sedition Act, and how it played out in the state of Vermont over 200 years ago. An interesting bit of history, and something concerning one of the members of our church, one of our own. So, I'm sure there are people in the congregation who will correct me, Set me straight on some of the details of Matthew Lyon, the spitting lion. Ended up in Fairhaven, Vermont. That's one place he lived as well. Others I know in this congregation know a lot more about Anthony Haswell. And I can't conclude without saying, in addition to Matthew Lyon and Anthony Haswell, there is a stone outside our church that marks the presence in this town of William Lloyd Garrison who also published a newspaper that was considered in its day and age perhaps seditious. But his newspaper, too, contained news and a voice that we had to hear and decide for ourselves, is this the prophet's word? Amen. Our hymn is God whose giving knows no ending.
like to welcome everyone to the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. I have few announcements except to say we have postponed for some indefinite period of time our soft opening of the church. We're still taking names for people who want to uh, participate in that. And so we wait for a few days, a few weeks to see what will happen. I want to conclude today by thanking our organist, Jean Marie Callahan, and also Nancy Andrews, who helps out with the order of service and innumerable details in this church. So thank you to both of them. Also to invite you, if you're so inclined, to participate in our morning offering. The way to do that would be to drop something in the mail to the First Congregational Church in Bennington, Vermont. It is at One Monument Circle, Old Bennington, Vermont, 05201. Morning offering for the work of our church now be received. Give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, be with us this day. We thank you for the time we have here in prayer, the time we have together to listen to each other's voice, to come together in peace seeking justice and truth, seeking to help one another and to love our neighbor, seeking to be a sign of goodwill and open cooperation. We give you thanks for this place, not only a place of worship, but a place of freedom where we might explore our spirit's yearnings, where we might turn inward to listen to those voices that speak to our soul, where we might look for the appearance of a prophet and the words that a prophet might speak. We give you thanks for this place, which is a place of healing, where we confront what is evil, where we listen for words that shape our lives. We give you thanks for our families, for those who are returning to school, for those who are schooled at home, for parents and caregivers who take time with children 
in these most difficult times. We give you thanks for our health, and we remember those this day who do not have health or whose health is challenged. Be with them and those who care for them. Our prayer is for their healing, their recovery, and our hearts are with them whatever path they may be on. You know, your love abides, O God. And so shower your love especially upon those people and those who are needy, without a home, or who have endured great loss or heavy news in these days. Be with those who have suffered violence. Be with those whose hearts are aching for something of a ray of light in these times. We pray for our country and for our world, for its good health, for its peace. We pray for those who keep us free. We ask for wisdom and the ability to engage with one another that we may be shaped in our views and that we may turn to you for that source of wisdom and light which changes all things. Now in silence we make our prayer to you. Amen. And as Christ taught us, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our hymn is Earth and All Stars.
now may God bless us and keep us. May God's face shine upon us and give us peace this day and evermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. Have a good day, be of good cheer, and live your faith in the coming week. Check in again in about a week's time for another one of these services. Permission to podcast and stream the service music is granted under a license number 3009679 from CCLI with all other creative rights reserved.